Hi, you're listening to the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. This podcast takes the lived experiences and knowledge of some of the leading figures and thinkers from the world of club management and beyond, all so that they can become your teacher and elevate your performance. Whether you're looking to start a career in club management, are a seasoned club manager at a world-leading club, or work elsewhere within this wonderful industry, there will be powerful messages and key takeaways that can help you in your career or personal life. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, and welcome to the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. Today, I'm excited to be joined by global luxury hospitality leader, Etienne Howell. Etienne is a hotel manager of La Mamunia in Marrakesh. Prior to this, Etienne's roles have been across a who's who of luxury hotel brands. He was the executive assistant manager at the world famous Burj Al Arab, director of food and beverage at Fairmont Hotels in Dubai and Kiev, for Hyatt in their Asia Pacific divisional office. These roles followed six years in Dubai, leading the food and beverage operation at a number of intercontinental hotels. And while doing all of this, he's even found time to complete an MBA from the prestigious EHL Hospitality Business School. Etienne, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for having me. Before we, The first thing I want to get into is how did you get into the hospitality world? What led you down this path? Well, uh, so I can think of three things um, that that resonated with me. One is uh, probably my love of people, um, my love of being of service, um, and and the love of beautiful things and places. You know, I mean, uh, initially I hesitated between being a diplomat and a hotelier. Uh, so I first studied uh, political science um, and and worked at the Australian Embassy in Paris. And at the time, you know, we were doing these beautiful receptions, and 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 I felt I was more um, fascinated by those who were serving rather than those who were being served, you know, and uh, and, uh, and 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 you know, I, I quickly came to realize that it's probably hospitality as well would be a job where I could express myself more freely, you know. I found mm-hmm. I found a platform where I could, um, you know, use that level of service of creating unique experiences of meeting exciting people without without much constraint, without much restraint. Um, and, uh, and once I started, I never looked back, you know, literally not, not one second. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Can you pinpoint what it was about the people who were serving that drew you to them? Um, you know, I, yeah, probably, you know, if I look back, I mean, it's, it's a while back, probably more than 20 years ago, but I, what I enjoyed, you know, in our job or in hospitality is that sense of um, uh, how you can immediately apprehend the satisfaction of someone for the job you've done. You know, I mean, when you're a hairdresser, you're cutting your hair, of course, um, it looks okay like this in the mirror because the hairdresser's done it for you and, and you leave the hairdresser. But that hairdresser, she or he never gets the satisfaction of the husband or the wife at home saying, "Oh my God, you got a beautiful hair, you." And 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 that emotional, you know, connection of uh, emotional feeling of satisfaction. You know, in in hospitality, 
we get it straight away. I mean, you can see straight away. Someone puts a parcel of food in his mouth. You can, you can see there is pleasure in there. You know, you, you, you ask someone, how was your, your night? You know, did you sleep well? You know, you can immediately grasp, you know, someone who just didn't want to leave the most comfortable bed there is. This, I enjoy that. You know, I enjoy that every single day, whatever, however hard the day can be at times, you know, you have this satisfaction of, gathering satisfied feedbacks and 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 i, and I felt it's uh, something that i loved i still love today <laughs> <laughs> i can really hear the passion in your voice as you as you speak about that what does being of service mean to you from the perspective of your teams well being of service is uh, is making sure that you uh, you provide, you know, um, um, something that aligns or uh, that exceeds, you know, the expectation of your of your customers, you know, um, and and I think it's probably the, the easiest uh, the easiest definition of it, you know, uh, whether it's a uh, is something tangible uh, product, you know, with its qualitative aspect, or or is something which is a which is more abstract, you know, like a service given or, or a nice word <laughs> pronounced uh, to the right person at the right time. You know, it, it is actually to, to find yourself in a position where you provide, you know, that uh, you, 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 you collide with that expectation of the guest. Mm. So I think the other places you've worked in your career will be of names people will recognize but where you are now can you give people a bit of a background as to the location of it the destination and the hotel itself yeah of course um, so Le Mamounia, so that's uh, that's a century old palace actually it's 100 years next year so uh, we're in marrakesh so in, in morocco in north africa and um, and it's arguably considered one of the finest luxury hotels in the world um, it's, it's born as the garden of a sultan, or actually as, a, as well the son of a sultan. Um, so uh, it is a 15 hectare property, um, um, which has the garden as its core. Um, it's so big somehow that it extended even the border of the old city. So we're actually the entrance of the Medina, um, really in the heart of it. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Medina in Marrakesh, but it's, it's, it's you know, it's... it's it's bustling. It's uh, it's noisy. It's uh, it's got incredible smells and sights and colors. But there's so much activity into it. And and our hotel, La Mamounia, is is kind of a heaven of peace in all this. You wake up in the morning, you can't hear anything. You just hear the birds, thousands of birds, because there are a lot of trees. Um, so it's a very very special place. And um, you know, pretty large. I mean, two hundred and nine rooms, ten restaurants, a um, lot of prestigious uh, consulting with uh, pastry chef Pierre May, George Van Gerichten, an incredible spa, um, and incredible team. I mean, for for a lot of uh, our employees, working for us is working for a piece of Moroccan heritage, and and they take incredible pride into it. Um, so very loyal team. And yesterday, yesterday I was doing the opening address of, um, of the new academic year at the university. And, and one student actually asked me that question, which, uh, uh, what makes Lama Munia special? Well, what makes us different? And I couldn't really put a word on it, you know, because I think when you come to this hotel, there is a bit of a mystical feeling. 
You know, it's a, it's a place where everything seems to be aligned. You know, the smell, uh, the light, the sound, the smiles. It's the, the, you don't find that in many hotels, and, uh, and 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 you leave this experience. You know, really yeah. first wanting to come back, and 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 very often not wanting to leave actually. So so yeah, it's it's a very very special place to work. Um, uh, very privileged place to work. Hmm. Sounds like there's quite a big contrast there from the hustle and bustle, what's going on in the streets. And then when you enter the hotel and that peaceful serenity, when I visited Morocco or Marrakesh a number of years ago, there was the Yves Saint Laurent Gardens. And this street, I mean, there was literally people on scooters on the pavement and it was just <laughs> so loud. And then you walked just down a side road and into these gardens and it was just this peaceful tranquil environment and it even though that's 16 years ago it still sticks in my mind so much and I imagine that what, what it must be like a little bit for your guests when they walk out of the Medina into there. Yeah this is the beauty of Marrakesh actually there are plenty of, uh, of gardens like this which are places of respite you know it's uh, you know it's uh, there's the beauty of this city actually one of the beauties of this city. Hmm. So leading hospitality teams, it's a demanding industry to work in and at the sort of places you've been, there's a, a high standard that's required. How do you balance pushing your teams to deliver those standards while stopping them from getting burnt out from potentially high workload? I mean, there it sounds like there's such a passion for the heritage and history of working mm. there that probably helps <laughs> with that as well. Yeah, it's uh, uh, you know this is such an important question, uh, and this is such, such an actual question too, because we speak a lot and, and rightly so, and and the pandemic probably um, increased that feeling about about mental health, you know, and uh, physical of course, but but mental health as well, you know, it's uh, um, there is pressure um, and and difficulty in working in hospitality. You know, there's a very pressure in general in any industry in delivering excellence, you know, to demanding guests. But with hospitality, probably more so. Um, first, that's a 24 hour business. You know, there are not many businesses like this. You close the office at five, it's closed. You know, uh, uh, the computers, the calculations might be running, but uh, uh, you'll discover them in the morning. Uh, the stock exchange closes at night. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, we don't. We, we, it's a 24 hour business, never stops. Um, it's like a little, Full service town, you know. We got all kind of trades, all kind of uh, of skills in there. We work day and night, so um, and we cannot stop a guest interaction. That's something as well, you know. It needs to be flawless. You don't stop guest interactions. You don't stop plan programming execution because you feel the team is not well. You know, so it can be tough. You know, it can be crushing. You know, and um, but so so that's a very important subject. Um, now. My feeling about it or my belief about it is, you know, when you have um, a high performance team and you expect this team to deliver consistently exceptional results, you know, you need to build your business or, or your ethos or, um, on very benevolent foundations, you know. Um, and it takes a few basic things to preserve that team. And, and I think. As an employer, we're very mindful of that. And I know many employers around the world are either 
already very mindful of that or coming to the realization that you cannot escape, you know, being interested by the subject. And one thing having is understanding how the workload is affecting your team, you know, just uh, uh, need to spend time understanding how to balance it. Because that's something we, we tend, you know, to naturally, especially in a busy environment, especially in a demanding environment of excellence, you know, you tend to trust the best performers, for example. You're going to take your best performers, trust them more, give them more, uh, more tasks, more responsibility, um, often taking the risk, to, the risk to burn them out, you know. Um, and uh, so on this, you know, I think checking in with the team, um, having a feedback system, if it's something big, having a project management tool, you know, uh, is very useful. You need to understand, you know, how the workload is evenly shared, you know, and, and, and understand as well that uh, burnout, it fries, it develops, it, it, it loves isolation, <laughs> you know. It's, uh, if you don't have a feedback culture, you know, it, it develops, you know. Um, two... I think having a proper training structure, and it goes with this thing I just mentioned about your best performer, you know, uh, to remove a temptation of giving it to the best, you need to ideally ensure there are more bests. You know, this comes through training, you know, identifying the needs and, and improving something that I love. I mean, I, um, I haven't read much about this, uh, but, but I read it somewhere, so, and it resonated with me. It's what, what I call talent equity. You know, thinking that, in every area of the organization, in sub-departments, within the division, you should try uh, to make sure they compete in terms of talent equity. But there's some kind of alignment in the talent or the average talent throughout the organization, so you don't let a department down, you know, uh, compared to another. You see that in restaurants, for example, you know, uh, and you can calculate talent equity. You know, your, your system, whatever system works, you know, you do your performance reviews at the end of the year, you assign two points to your top performance, one point, three points for your top performance, two points for your good performance, one point for uh, your performance but really need development. You know, you look at a team and you do an average of that and you try to reach, you know, an equilibrium in talent equity to make sure that throughout the organization, you know, there's uh, mitigated uh, the risk of burnout, you know. Um, this is something which I wish I, which I like. Um, third, I think very simply, simply, but we often do it badly, is, is to learn to, to identify the signs of burnout. You know, and, and some of them, they're very obvious, you know, absenteeism, or lateness, uh, mistakes, irritability, uh, depression, staff turnover, I mean, there are plenty of them, you know, anything out of character, I think should ring a bell and, uh, and make you realize something is wrong. And uh, yeah, I think it's pretty old. Oh, I mean, also, although it's not very common in hospitality or it's difficult, uh, promoting a good uh, work-life balance, mm. you know? As I say, it's 24 hour business for us, so it is a difficult thing, but I suppose it's not impossible and you observe that a lot post-pandemic, a lot of restaurants decide to close on the weekends. I mean, I mean, it's incredible to think of a restaurant close on the Saturday. I mean, <laughs> like what? But you know what? If it's what it takes, you know, to have an incredible team of engaged talents and 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 make sure that the customers are served properly, um, you know, and, and create loyalty in your team, then why not? You know, it's, it's worth doing it, you know? Um, yeah, everybody has a different fit. Everybody has a different um, 
way to work, you know. Um, so, so yeah, you got to find the right fit for each of your team members. Yeah, I think that's really important. As you say about finding out what's important to each person, you might have someone who Tuesday nights is when they play football with their friends and that's a really important yeah. time for them to have off. And you yeah, can manage yeah. that because someone else wants Friday mornings or whatever it might be. And as you say, it's that knowing your team members to see, to notice those subtle changes in them uh, when they're those, those early signs of burnout to better. No, absolutely. Yeah. Balance that. The, the, you know, the, the talent equity, I really like that idea um, of, because it is, as you say, it's easy to give your top performers all the jobs because you know that they'll, they'll do it well and to yeah ideally have that strength and depth in the team that everyone can can do their load yeah what what do you see as common mistakes or errors in delivering great experiences either stuff that's happened where you've worked or the stuff you've you've seen in other places like oh i'm sure when you go to hotels or restaurants yourself you can't help but sit there and kind of analyze what's happening and the service. <laughs> well, I, I think we need a separate podcast for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have plenty. Um, oh, gosh. Um, yeah, look, um, look, one, um, trying to be different or trying to do things differently, but overlooking the essentialness of relevance. You know, when you design a guest experience and you want to beat the competition by doing this, there are two things that work hand in hand. It's relevance and difference. Relevance and difference. Don't ever try to be different and do something which has nothing to do with your DNA and nothing to do with the market expectation. You know? um, two, I'd say overlooking the importance of alignment. We generally have a bit of a tunnel vision. You know, we look at something, we, we decide it's gonna be our next big project, you know, uh, but we overlook the fact that a good company with um, consistent delivery of, uh, of, of excellence is aligned, you know, throughout its different deliveries, internally and externally, you know. And, and I think this is one thing I'm really good at. Like, if there's one thing I can say I'm good at, you know, it, it's this. But that really is one thing that sets me apart and it's something that I've learned from working for great, uh, great chefs, you know, early in my career. You know, the impact of serving the best food in the world in a restaurant is lesser if the elevator to reach the restaurant was smelling bad. It is lesser if the doorman of that high-rise tower, who's got nothing to do with your restaurant, is unpleasant or impolite, you know? I stayed recently in, a, in a, an incredible hotel, um, best hotels in the world and, 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 and a very expensive hotel. Um, everything was flawless, a really beautiful experience. But the toilet paper in the rooms was probably the thinnest toilet paper I've ever encountered. I, I, I did not even think this actually exists. But you know what? You think, why, why would you stop somewhere in the excellence chain? You know, why would you do that? And, and years ago, I was managing an incredible restaurant in Dubai. 
uh, for Pierre Gagné, a three Michelin star chef. And we were in the basement of this huge hotel, which was really business driven, so not really our clientele for the restaurant. Um, and one thing the guests remembered was that at the end of the meal, someone from the restaurant, generally the hostess, was escorting the guests in the elevator, going up to the lobby, walking with the guest, opening the doors for the guest, waiting with the guest for his car coming back from the valley and opening the doors for the guests. You know, it's our guests. You know, you need to ensure you get the experience nailed from A to Z, you know. Um, other thing, I think, um, assuming what the guest journey looks like. That, that's often a mistake, this. You know, because we, we, we all travel, we all know a lot of things, we all know our hotels, our golf clubs very well, and, and we assume what the guest journey looks like. Um, but why the guest is not always right, I think the truth is generally in the customer. You know, one example I often take is when you look at urban planning. You know, you have a place where you, uh, an urban planner has the opportunity to have patches of grass and plant some trees. So you get these big expanses of grass and in the middle, generally completely straight, you have a straight path right in the middle, you know, just crossing and, and for, the, for people to walk. Very often you observe on the grass a path where the, which has been walked on because the users of this urban environment are crossing crossing this vast expanse of grass that someone decided to put there, whereas there's nothing at the end of the path and your destination is when you turn left with a train station or something else. You know, why? You know, you understand your guest journey is the same on much little things in a, in a hotel or, or anywhere else, you know? Um, and same for, for, for a golf player. You know, um, you need to understand the guest journeys, the golf player uh, who's having lunch before the tea time or, 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 or before after passing by the changing rooms, the, uh, the, 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 the guests coming just for a meal. They have different journeys. They have different expectations. So, so you need to make sure you address them one by one, you know, very, um, uh, very systematically, you know. Um, and the last thing I can think about, uh, but it's probably more in terms of, it doesn't have to be luxury only, but, uh, but let's say it's to look at great guest programming exclusively on the criteria of return on investment. You know, of course, what you do needs to make sense. You know, you cannot, uh, uh, you cannot ruin the company for a decision you're taking makes sense. But when you're in luxury, when you're in a club, whether it's a golf club, a private club environment, there are few things you still need to do that should be assessed in terms of what I call ROE, you know, return on experience. How the experience indirectly brings value to your reputation, brings value to your guest loyalty, uh, to your members' pride sometimes in a, in a club environment, and as a result, how it will possibly generate revenue. But, but start it with a return on experience um, uh, the criteria first before expecting uh, a return on investment. So with the customer journey, if you are either going starting a new role, a new hotel, or looking at where you are now, how would you go about learning the customer journey? Would you just go there as a customer and go through that experience yourself with the restaurant manager? How, how would you process that? Yeah, I think there are, there are two things. Um, first, 
you have to try to find a way to make it very systematic. You know, you have to identify who your customers are um, and have as well subgroups of customers. You know, family with a young child has a different journey than family with six uh, teenage children. You know, so as a customer group, you cannot just have, you know, family with child, uh, family with children. You can't. So you really need to look carefully. I mean, you cannot as well uh, design a hundred guest journeys. So uh, you need to identify your top five, or uh, if you have really a lot of time, uh, your top 10 guest types, and then think about their journey and, and think about it in a very holistic view as well. Your guest journey or your member's journey in the club, it doesn't start when they pass your door. You know, for many of your of your guests or our guests or your members, this start it starts with the dreaming stage, with the intent of coming to a particular hotel or a particular club. You know, how are they going to get there? Is it clear? These are informations to come to a country. You know, how you convey this information, how you make that journey, which has nothing to do with you technically, but how can you understand the perhaps assist you know your members or your guests to make this journey more comfortable better so it's very holistic and and it doesn't end as well when they leave the hotel or the club it, it ends when the guests or the member is at home sitting and relaxing and how you are still managing to touch that guest you know through a giveaway through a heartful email through, through a follow-up through you know a promotion for the future i don't know you know, how you extend, you know, that journey into the life, into the home of the, of the guests or other members. So, you know, there is this process to be done. And it's a process you generally should do with all your team. Because, again, my understanding of a guest journey, I'm a father uh, of a young child. Um, today, I'm disconnected with uh, the guest journey of a Gen Z uh, who would come with his girlfriend. You know? So, so uh, you need assistance. You cannot assume that you know, you know what the guest journey is of a young businessman or of a young couple or of, a, of an elderly couple. You, you, you can't. So you need around the table a good enough cosmopolitan mix of people who, who get into that game. You know, and it's a game. It, it really is a game, you know, understanding the problem. And then you're absolutely right, living the experience. You know, living the experience is so essential. I mean, here at La Mamunia, I stay in a hotel every two weeks. Uh, I spend a weekend every two weeks. And literally the purpose of that is it, is to, to live that journey. And you know what, every weekend, as hard as we work to craft the, the best experiences for the guests, every weekend, I find something which I would consider myself as critical. Something like, oh my God, I overlooked that. You know, we can make it better, just a little bit better sometimes. You know, but you know, and that's exciting. This is really an iterative process, and um, you know, and and something that everyone should do. I suppose it has an added benefit if you're going through that customer journey with your whole team, and there is that Gen Z working on your team, and you're asking them for input and their ideas on how to improve it for people like them, they're probably feeling a more valued member of the team and that's helping them create you know, more passion for the, for their job and wanting to work there as well. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, especially on the Gen Z, uh, Gen Z perspective, you know, where, where it's clearly something which is essential when you when you manage Gen Z in the company. Um, so, so yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, it brings a tremendous amount of value, you know, to uh, to do this uh, to do this process uh, as a team, you know, and uh, it brings a lot of freshness. So, when it comes to these experiences, how do you approach? kind of your thought process for different types of outlets so you, even at the best hotels you have a variety of outlets whether that be more of a, a quick service bar with some snacks and up to michelin starred restaurants how, how is is there a process and formula you use across all of them just with different aspects or how do you approach that do I I think if we if we talk about food and beverage specifically, um, the the dynamics of a great hospitality experience are actually the same. Uh, I really believe they're the same regardless of the type of outlets. It's just that you um, your 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 playground uh, is a little bit different, you know, and uh, and sometimes of course the extent. Uh, of your capacity to innovate might be uh, or please might be a little bit different but your customers are different too so, so actually i think the, the the base is is pretty much the same you know i think one going back to the journey you know i would say one make that experience holistic you need to understand the journey uh, and you need to address it holistically for alignment you know as we mentioned a bit earlier that would be really my, my, my one thing first thing to look at before planning anything else no, two, make it nice. You know, it's not difficult to make things nice. Whatever thing you make, take pride in, in, in creating an experience and a product that people want to look at, that people want to put in their mouth. You know, just like, don't lose sight of quality. You know, and and be critical about it. You know, try to improve delivery inch by inch. You know, but but really make things nice. Um, free. I'd say make it exciting. Create programming, relevant programming. Give customers a reason to stay longer, um, to come back more often. And this, is, of course, is even more, um, I think, essential when we talk about clubs, when we talk about golf clubs or private clubs. You know? um, and last, you know, I think it's about storytelling. Once you get all of, the, all of these first three points nailed, you know, um, and, and you have a focus on these three points and, and, and this constant and, and you know, this is a really a, a virtual circle. Um, you need to make sure you let the world know. You know, you need to make sure that you, 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 you find your special voice. Everybody can have a special voice. You don't need to do cookie-cutter things. You know, you find yours, regardless of what it is. You know, find your little voice, so your special voice, and, and let it be known. You know, craft a story. You know, and by doing this, you, you really close that circle. You, you manage to connect emotionally to your customers, emotionally to your guests, you know, and, and, and you really close that circle. How do you go about storytelling? But storytelling, uh, you have two different ways to, uh, to go about it. One, uh, option one, you have a story already there. Uh, in the case of La Mamunia, for example, we're blessed with a hundred years of history and a lot of more contemporary stories, whether it's uh, illustrious guests who visited, 
um, or painted the hotel in the case of Churchill, for example, or the International Film Festival. We, we got plenty of stories, you know, that, that go in different directions and we can give them give them a sense or, or the way we link them together. So, so one, of course, is this. When, or when you have a super strong um, foundation, uh, intentional foundation. Think about Burj Arab, okay, not much history, but the 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 the, the idea of how he was born of uh, of, uh, of his highness Shah Mohammed uh, uh, sitting on the beach uh, and uh, and thinking, oh my God, you know, uh, we're going to run out of oil in a few years. You know, let's become you know a tourism destination and to become to put ourselves on the map straight away. Let's design this incredibly luxurious hotel that everyone in the world over will speak about. I mean, okay, this is a story as well you can put in perspective. But you know, sometimes you don't have the luxury of this. Sometimes you're just a small, uh, a small bistro on the side of the highway. Right? <laughs> but you know what? Um, never mind. Never mind. You know, like. It, there's no story better than others. I mean, yeah, of course, there are story better than others, but in the way um, uh, it belongs to you, um, it, there's no there's no level. You know, you can craft a story from, you know, anything. Just think about what was the intent, you know, of, of you existing as a business. You know, just uh, dig in your feelings as a leader, if you're leading that company or as a founder, if you were the one founding it, you know, remember what sparked it. How did you feel about it? You know, how did you want your customers, regardless of your trade, how do you want your customers to feel about it? You know, what gap did you try to fill? You know, and, and, and then craft that story. You know, it's a, you know, it, it, no one, there's nothing to 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 check for people. You know, you're the one. Your voice, your special voice, makes any story compelling. You know, so um, but don't forget to craft one because differentiation, of course, it can be product differentiation. But we're running hotels, we're running restaurants or clubs. We're not sending people on the moon. So radical innovation is hardly. You know, in our DNA, and, and it cannot really be. Ultimately, our guests they sleep, they eat, uh, they have fun. You know, it's that's it. <laughs> you know, so uh, your story, you know, is what is going to be the point of differentiation. You know, um, so so never over overlook that. It's, I think it's, it's it's a key element. Mm, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. The storytelling aspect, because I think a lot of clubs and hotels do try and, and innovation's good, but yeah, maybe they don't enough look at yeah, their story and what they're trying to tell and, and really owning that. Cause I guess if you don't own your own story, someone else will write it for you. Yeah. You know, and this is as well, one of the things that I think I, I strongly believe that, uh, that more and more true, luxury guest experience is going to sit in the hands of independent hotels more than luxury brands belonging to large groups you know because independent hotels have only their story to tell there's no interference from 
you know, uh, head office or, or big hotel group who might have different intense visions uh, or, or tell you what the story is going to be and which might be completely disconnected from your DNA, your location, your architecture, you know, because this is not the way hotel development really works, you know. So uh, there is a level of disconnection with this. So it, it really sits in this. And, um, you know, it, it's... Um, um, uh, this, this level of storytelling is, uh, is, is what makes really the, the, the customers come back. You know, I, I really believe that. Because it's also the story the customer tells. Because when I think of the best experiences I've had, either at hotels or at restaurants or even takeout food shacks, the ones that always come to mind or I tell people about it is like I'm telling a story and I'm reliving that whole moment, which they've probably crafted that to be able to make it a journey and a story that then I can tell people because then I'm delivering that message, that that story that they want to tell the world. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And you know, some, some, sometimes a very strong story brings more value than expanding your business. You know, and, and there are many examples of this. Actually, there's an example which is quite interesting. Uh, somehow, uh, I feel that's an example that fits in that criteria. In and Out Burger in the States. Okay, you think about cult burgers in North America. People will say, oh, Shake Shack uh, and In and Out Burger. Probably the, the two things that burger lovers want to eat. Yet, In and Out is only on the West Coast. Like, why? Why? I mean, we could make millions of dollars being on the East Coast, you know. Any investor in a flash would give them a fortune to open burger restaurants there. But they don't. They don't because their story is the story, really, of a West Coast burger chain being on the West Coast, owned by a West Coast American businessman. You know, it is. It is their their story. And it has a lot more value you know, then, you know, diluting that DNA, expanding all over the world, you know. So so sometimes, you know, a very strong story is your best ally for a business, you know. Mm. Yeah, because they would lose their entire identity if they started opening up anywhere else. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. There's an interesting book called The Category of One, and it's about how businesses businesses shouldn't aim to be the number one in their category. They should aim to create their own category by mm. the story they tell and, and how they operate. And In-N-Out Burger was one uh, actually mentioned in that book about this. Oh, very interesting. I'll, I'll probably get my hand on that. <laughs> yeah, it is an interesting uh, read. So what's the non-obvious things that you look at? I think all of us, when we go to hotels or restaurants, you know, we notice things that are exceptionally different or good or bad, but what's the things that you probably notice that someone who hasn't worked in hospitality and has your eye that you pick up on? I know you've touched on a few things already, but is there anything, any other aspects? Yeah, well, I'll, the three things I would do are probably the three things that unfortunately most consultants wouldn't do. Uh, so, but uh, so, so I hope consultants will listen to those ones. Um, look, one, I'll start with the back of house. You know, from 
storage from, from receiving to storage to the staff quarters to their changing rooms to where they eat and uh, to their restrooms where because the back of house it tells you a lot of the hidden things you're going to find in the front of house you know it really gives you an aspect of whether or not the people operating that space have underlined and, and a holistic uh, understanding of what it takes to run a successful food or hotel business or if the front is just a well-branded well-rounded well-marketed you know concept you know and, and and i always feel it guides me towards the possible critical points i should look for in the customer experience probably that's the first thing i'll, I'll be doing the second thing I'll speak to the team. They're working this concept, they're working this space, they're living this space every single day, they're interacting with customers every single day. While not everything you're gonna gather from the interactions uh, is gonna be meaningful or, or worth exploiting for you to improve an operation, certainly there is a level of truth in there somewhere. And, and you're gonna identify that through of course, identifying similarities, you know, or, or trends, you know, in, in, in these meetings you're going to have. And the last thing, I'll try to understand how we got to where we are today. Regardless of where we are today, whether today we are at the top of our game, whether today we are in dire need of improvement. Understand how in the history of that hotel, of that restaurant, of that club, how did we get to where we are? You know, what were the stages, you know, in terms of investment, in terms of concepts, in terms of decision, in terms of guest segmentation, in terms of whatever the strategy was, in terms of staffing. You know, understand what we got there, you know, so you can really um, avoid um, having a subjective um, um, opinion of where we are today. You know, because especially when something is bad today, we tend to be very critical and try to tackle it head on. You know, but you know, if you don't understand how it got bad in the first place over the past five, 10, 20, 100 years, you, know, you, you will never be able to fix that thing for sure. You know, so, so this is super important. And it takes time, this. It really takes time because this, you gather it through interviews, through historical financial data, through historical uh, investment data of capital, capital expenditures. You, you, there is a real groundwork to do on this to, to, to get a real understanding of, of what decisions, good or bad, uh, were taken in history. I think alignment, as you've mentioned previously as well, it's so important that if the back of house, if that's not matching with the yeah, what the brand image, there's that misalignment. You should want your staff to have a beautiful place to work because that then, I guess, feeds into how they operate and how they deliver. If they're working in a kitchen that's messy and not clean and untidy, then that's not going to lead to the service and experience front of house. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's uh, and especially I think if you when you work in luxury uh, in, in really high end environments, you know where of course my house or in the house of of uh, our employee is not similar to this incredible palace we work in, you know. So there there needs to be in the back of house a certain level of alignment. 
you know, for this, you know, because uh, because there is there is already a disalignment between our life and what we provide, we will be, and that show we put on every day. Um, so as soon as we come into the hotel, there needs to be something that you know already starts the 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 the, the, the colleague experience. You know, so that then we can translate that as well very comfortably and as flawlessly as possible to the customer experience. What's one of the best pieces of advice you've received in your career? I received a few, but I think, um, you know, one that I always keep, um, one that I always keep is, is probably from my time with, uh, with Chef Pierre Gagnard. You know, it's, it's the idea that excellence is not an end in itself. That excellence is actually pretty much of an iterative process. You know, that once you feel you're satisfied with a result, um, you'll enjoy it for a while, by all means, you know, just, just don't, uh, uh, don't, uh, um, don't disdain it, you know, enjoy the success, uh, enjoy reaching a milestone, you know, but then, you somehow need to find the confidence to look at things again from the bottom up, perhaps from a different perspective, with perhaps different resources as well, or different helps, and, and try to make it even better. You know, and and this um, um, this is something that really um, touched me in my years with him because there was this idea of once a dish he was plating, was reaching what he considered as the highest possible version of this particular dish, it was disappearing straight away. And sometimes it was disappearing in the middle of the service <laughs> because that, that, uh, that, that, that uh, feeling sometimes he had it in the middle of a busy service. So suddenly it was changing because he said, okay, I've reached it. I'm not interested by it anymore. Let's do it again. And um, and years later, I was reading um, I was reading uh, poems from uh, from from the American poetess Maya Angelou, and I found this sentence that really summed it up, that summed up that feeling. And she says, "You know, do the best you can until you know better, and then you know better, and when you know better, do better." You know, and, and this is something very powerful. I mean, it really gives me shivers just saying that, actually, because it really resonates with me. You know, I love that idea. You know, don't be complacent in front of success. Don't be complacent in front of achieving your goals because the world is large. You know, there are, uh, there are many more goals to achieve, you know, but just grasp the knowledge, get the understanding with the whole world out there and just do it again better and better mm -hmm. and better. And yeah, this is something I like. That's really powerful. And I like what you've touched on there about celebrating the milestone before then iterating and, and moving on. I think that's something which kind of am, ambitious people, sometimes we can forget to do that. Yeah, you're right. Just, you're right. Just look, yeah, look for the next one. But that celebration is important. I think maybe especially for the team who maybe aren't as ambitious, because you know, if you're the, if you're the leader, you probably have that extra level of ambition. Having that celebration gives them that satisfaction, and then easier to push on. Yeah, I mean you're so right. You're so right. 
this is something uh, this is something we tend to to overlook very much you know that feeling that even if sometimes as well you as a leader you celebrate <laughs> that success even as small as it may be before moving on you your, your team as well needs to have that feeling, you know, they need, they need to know that they've done well, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to celebrate that together you know, and uh, uh, before, before, you know, before we keep going, you know, because we have to keep going. How do you give feedback? Can you give me maybe an example of when someone in your team either disappointed you or a situation, there was an issue and it wasn't handled how you'd like? How would you approach that? But first, um, I think before you have this, you need to make sure you prepare yourself. You know, it cannot be um, it cannot be emotional, uh, regardless of the situation. Um, I think you need to prepare yourself very factually because look, the aim of a feedback session is what you know, uh, is to make sure that the receiver you know, understands what he's done, understands what was wrong about it, understands what he could have done or she could have done better, you know, and uh, decides, you know, willingly <laughs> that he should have done differently and he, and he will. So, so this takes a level of preparation from the leader. You know, you need to list easy to grasp, easy to comprehend facts, you know, sequentially, you know, so that person understands. You know, and you have to be giving these feedbacks directly. And I think we're, we're not always very good at this in companies. You know, it's this feedback, it belongs to that person. You know, it shouldn't be all in the open, you know, during a meeting. Um, you know, it has to be, it has to be direct. It has to be given sensitively. You know, especially if you don't know that person too much, depending on the subject or the, or the issue you face, you know, you need as well to understand maybe that person's going through something that you don't know. Uh, you don't understand the context a little bit in which these things have done, you know, just just don't jump hastily. Of course, you need to give back swiftly, uh, give feedback swiftly. So don't spend a week preparing it, but a good five minutes of focus. Uh, no, a few minutes of focus will be enough for you to give uh, to give that session uh, to give that feedback. You know? I saw one of your LinkedIn posts. You mentioned Marcus Aurelius. Is Stoic philosophy something you're interested in, and is it something you use to then help calm those emotions? <laughs> it's good to put it this way. Uh, I need that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, the um, is something I've been confronted on, uh, confronted with um, pretty early in my career, um, but I did not know it by uh, at that time. I just remember one thing, one sentence. You know, I used to, I still do it today. I used to write down, you know, quotes or, or sentences that resonate with me. And, and one of the very first one I ever wrote on the book was a sentence from Shakespeare's The Tempest. And the sphere, you know, so one of the one of the character of the tempest that says, "There be some sports are painful, and their labor delights in them sets off." Understand that sometimes you do things which are difficult, but it's actually their difficulty, perhaps, that make them pleasurable, that make you want to overcome obstacles. You know, and the, and 
there is a level of stoicism, you know, about, about this idea somehow, you know, the idea that you can embrace hard labor as a good thing if you find that it is a key to elevate yourself. And in hospitality, this was very early on in my career. So I suppose it resonated with me because early on in a hospitality career, you know, you're, you're feeling difficulty, you're feeling sometimes hardship, you know. And I felt it was, um, I felt this philosophy or this, uh, this feeling was quite uh, appeasing, you know, um, in a way, you know, and... Uh, in my early 20s, uh, I am one of my first internship. I met this this mature lady at work called Eliane, and Eliane uh, was reading um, in, uh, continuously <laughs> the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. So I started to, you know, get a bit interested about this, and uh, and probably the sentence you or the quote you're you're thinking about asking me this question is something I wrote in an article, and and which is which is something um, very powerful for me. And that's this, this quote of Marcus Aurelius that says, what stands in the way becomes the way. Um, I think this is just so powerful. You know, that, that you, you decide to consider that what you can see very clearly as a barrier might actually be the solution. You know, it, that this actually becomes the way forward. You know, and, and with time and experience, you know, especially again in hospitality, because we're not sending people on the moon and ultimately we're just serving incredible things and, and, and making sure people have a comfortable, nice way. You know, there's nothing really that we can't handle, you know. Um, so when you face adversity, you, you should not try to go around it, you should not try to, uh, to, to avoid it, you should try to confront it. You know, you should try to turn adversity into an advantage. You know, and, and and this is something you know which which uh, which I love. I really love this idea. You know, to extend um, extend your comfort zone. You know, uh, through you know this this process. You know. Mm. Uh, really nice. Well, before we finish off, is there any last messages or, or thoughts you want to put across on what we've talked about? Um. No, look, not um, not particularly. I think um, no, a lot of the topics you we discussed today, they are, they, they are some of them they are under different lights. You know, today post-pandemic. You know, when we talk about burnout, when we talk about the philosophy to approach life. You know, that it, it is an opportunity as well to look back at how we think and how we feel, how, what we do, how we handle the teams, you know, how we handle customers, you know, how we craft experiences, you know, it's, uh, we've all been through um, uh, the, the difficult period. I was just talking about adversity. Well, yeah, that was a period of adversity. Um, but, you know, we, we, we came out of it. We came out of it and we were well, we progressively coming out of it. And, and now the question is what you do with it, you know? Is it just your status quo in everything you do in, in, you know, or you decide to look back at it and probably spin it a little bit with a touch of philosophy and a, and a touch of stoicism, you know, and, 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 and see life perhaps under, under slightly different light. Well, Etienne, thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been fascinating and insightful. And I know a lot of people listening will really take a lot of, wisdom and, and ideas from what you've shared with us from your experiences. So thank you very much. Thank you Ed, for having me.
Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we dive into the world of club management. I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoy having them. If you do enjoy and get value from them, I have two small requests. Simply subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening app and leave a review and share it directly with someone whom you think would benefit from listening. If you're interested in being a guest on this show yourself, then you can reach out to me using the details in the show notes or email me modernclubmanagement at pm.me. In the show notes, you will also find a link to my bi-weekly newsletter that complements these conversations where you can sign up to receive these directly into your inbox so that you never miss out. Thanks for tuning in and have an amazing day. This episode is brought to you by Sweda. Sweda is the social learning platform that delivers high quality blended learning with human connection. Sweda is on a mission to revolutionize the digital learning space through restoring the critical element of human engagement that has gotten lost in online learning. The technology provides everything organizations or individuals need on one single platform to achieve meaningful long-term learning success. Using these skills helped me attain a job offer as the director of golf at Golf Digest, top 100 in the world ranked course after I completed their influence and communication courses. But don't just take my word and the 97% five-star reviews it has had on Trustpilot for it. Try it yourself. All you have to do is email david at suada.com, that's S-U-A-D-A.com, and quote the Modern Club Management Podcast to claim your free enrollment onto the Reciprocity course to start your journey to become a more influential and persuasive communicator.